Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Twenty years ago, Travelocity and Expedia came into the world and changed the way people traveled. And they soon had company: Hotels.com, Orbitz, Priceline, TripAdvisor. These all let people plan for themselves in a way they hadn't been able to do before. Skift news editor Dennis Shaw started covering those companies back in 2000, and he's been writing about them ever since. Dennis has spent the last few months interviewing dozens of players who were on the inside for a massive project, taking a very deep dive into the early days of online travel. So today, on a special episode of the Skift Podcast, Dennis and I are talking about the giant shift that happened two decades ago and his giant project telling that story. Dennis, thank you for joining me. Sure, great to be here. So let's talk some numbers first.、Um, how long have you been working on this project? How many people did you talk to? And、um, do you know what your word count is? Well, the word car—the word count is a,、uh, a moving part. Since I think I handed in around sixty thousand words, sixty-five thousand words. Uh, but I think the final cutter is around forty, forty-five thousand words. And I started working on this in mid-February. It's funny. It's I started、uh, interviewing two rivals on the same day, which was Rich Barton, the founder of Expedia, and Al Lenza, who was at Northwest Airlines and the a founding member of Orbitz, which tried to take a chunk out of Expedia in order to to get started. And、uh, I ended up interviewing 28 people, a lot of the、uh, founders, early CEOs, employees of、uh, some of these、uh, these important companies, and I interviewed people all over the world.、Uh, you know, all over the U.S., of course, Europe, China, Brazil, Dublin. So it was really, it was a really amazing project、uh, in terms of some of the stories these people told me. Yeah, and for the full story, people should obviously read your piece,、um, all all forty whatever thousand words. But if you can sum up, if it's even possible to sum up、um, all of these interviews, all of this history that you dug into, what I, I guess the key questions are like, what made Online travel possible, and、uh, were there really like one or two key players who、um, who made the first breakthroughs? Yeah, I think one of the key players is Hotel Reservations Network, founded by Bob Diener and Dave Littman, and it was in the early 1990s. It was back in the day when there was no central place to. Go and shop for hotels. You had to either call up the hotel or walk in. And、uh, it's interesting. I was. It was funny to find out travel agents at the time weren't interested in booking hotels because all the money was in airline tickets, and the airlines were paying commissions. Later on, the airlines killed the commissions,、mm-hmm. and travel and travel agents got into hotels. But that left an opportunity for Hotel Reservations Network, which became Hotels. dot com. To go and find a way to get hotel deals,、uh, and they sold hotels over the phone, and they were very influential in bringing the merchant model 
to the hotel industry. The merchant model was basically the wholesale model that had been used uh, in the tour operator industry, but no one was using it just for selling hotels. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they were able to negotiate deals with hotels that weren't widely available. And consumers just leapt at the opportunity to to grab those deals. And we should we should mention that like the internet <laughs> really <laughs> came around right. shortly before this. So I mean, it's hard to remember a time before the internet, but um, but it was the the interactive internet and being able to go online, and unrelated to travel, that really obviously you know, made it possible for these companies to start. Yeah, for example, Hotel Reservations Network reluctantly launched a, a website, I think around 1995, something like that. They were doing so well on the phone. But then uh, once the website became interactive, it wasn't interactive at, f- at first, things just really took off. And hotels saw it as a great opportunity. Oh, here's this new sales channel. We'll give them, you know, we'll give these guys some deals. And Hotels.com ended up really becoming all-powerful. Hotels.com and Expedia uh, took control over hotel pricing a lot of the time, and uh, hotels really came to resent it. Something that surprised me in reading over some of your interviews was how willing people were to talk to you about extremely dramatic moments or old beefs or behind the scenes maneuverings. Um, So we have an example that I want to listen to. And this is Rich Barton. He was the founder of Expedia, right? And he's detailing a meeting that took place. I believe it was during the roadshow for Expedia's initial public offering. We got present. It was like a, it was like a scene out of the Godfather. (laughs) No kidding. No kidding. We, I was in a room and they put two press releases in front of me. Literally two press releases and says and said uh, um, actually one was a contract the other was a press release to door A and door B right and and it was you either sign this deal here or we're going to issue this press release in an hour <laughs> and the press release was uh... tomorrow and the press and the press release uh, the press release was you know all the biggest American all the biggest U.S. carriers were banding together to create orbits right to compete with Expedient Travelocity. And this would have... The code name was called T, T2, right. Travelocity Terminator, I think. Cause right. As I said, Travelocity was bigger than us at the time. Right. Um, it was really quite an incredible scene, like something that, you know, from an antitrust perspective, you know, just like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, but they did it through lawyers, whatever. They'd had plenty of experience with the antitrust right. regulators, and, and so they figured they were being clean. But anyway... It was a, uh, you know, it was it was the offer you can't refuse kind of thing. <laughs> so that so that is surprisingly candid <laughs> from was. from a guy who was really like formative back in the day and continues to be. Um, he's talking about the threat that airlines would create orbits, which they did, and then so then on the flip side we have. Alex Zoglin, who was the founding uh, founding chief ne- technology officer at Orbitz, he was the first employee of Orbitz, um, and he's another candid interview. He's kind of fessing up um, to you about uh, about their formation. Gosh, I hate to admit this, yeah. but uh, it, it, may have already told you all this, but um, the idea was not to create Orbitz. The idea was to create a paper tiger 
scare the crap out of either yep. <laughs> Expedia or Travelocity right. and convince them to play ball. One thing you don't hear in the clips is the airlines were demanding something like 40% equity in Expedia in exchange for not launching orbits. And they were shocked that Expedia and Rich Barton refused to negotiate about it and just went on his way. So so after all the years that you've been covering this, were you like, were you surprised by how much people were willing to tell you? And were there um, revelations that kind of blew your mind at this point? Yeah. Um, there's a guy named Tim Poster who founded Travelscape. And he said at one point, okay, this happened uh, 15 years ago. Who cares now? I'll, I'll tell the story. And he told the story of how he had a deal uh, for IAC to acquire Travelscape for $120 million. And the night before he was supposed to fly to New York to sign the deal, Dara Kastra Shahi of IAC called him up and said, oh, we'll only do the deal for $90 million. And Tim who went on to uh, own the Golden Nugget Casino in Las Vegas, basically told him, F you if you don't do the deal for $120 million, which is what we agreed to. Um, and they didn't do the deal. But then Expedia, which was independent of IAC at that time, ended up buying them uh, about a month later for uh, $110 million. Mm. And did you know, like, did you know these things as they were happening in real time? Or this is all stuff that you've only been learning over the past few months? Yeah, I've just been learning. I never heard of that scenario. I had never heard about the Orbit story about how the airlines got together and Godfather like summoned Rich Barton to a room to make him an, an offer so he couldn't refuse. So a lot of these stories and a lot of other stories that you'll read about in the oral history, um, I'm hearing about for the first time. So we've talked about um, Expedia and Orbits and Travelocity and, and then comes Priceline, which has this different innovation, which is like letting customers name the price that they're willing to pay. Um, so basically Priceline is looking, looking at airlines, which are flying with compared to now, like relatively low load factors, their planes just aren't as full back then as they are now and saying, we bet, we bet airlines will be willing to sell those seats cheaper and the public will be willing to take those less popular seats for a good price. So this leads to a really funny anecdote. This is Jay Walker talking, um, who founded Priceline. Just to paint the picture, he's gone to see Bob Crandall, who's the former president and chairman of American Airlines. And Jay Walker is talking about his plan for Priceline to let people name a price. Um, in this early plan, they're allowed to exclude one airline from the results. So they can say, I'll, I'll take any flight on any any airline, anytime, um, except for this one that I hate for whatever reason. Um, okay, so here's Jay recounting Bob. You hate the airline you fly the most. <laughs> I said, what? Okay. He says, Jay, here's the story. One out of every seven trips in the airline is a service failure. It's not our fault. Weather, mechanical, problems with the airport, uh, you know, gates, right? One out of every seven trips is a failure, which means if you fly me regularly, guess what? You have experienced more failures. Whereas when you fly my competitor only once in a while, you get on his flight, it runs perfectly, and you say, why, why when I get on the other guy, it's always perfect? And when I get on you, Bob, your airline always breaks. Okay? <laughs> so, so I never forgot it, okay? You hate the airline you fly the most. Right. So I changed the product. Literally, I said, fine, I will commit. 
you will not be able to eliminate an airline. Right. You can fly any airline, you can fly any major airline, doesn't matter which one, you can't pick one. Right. Okay? And he looked at me and he said, Jay, let me just be perfectly clear. We would be better off if you were hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I love that laugh at the end. Hit by a truck. Ha! It's a Crandall... Walker as Crandall goes on to say that the internet is the worst thing that could ever happen to the airline industry because it would allow transparency and give more control to customers. Um, and making a long story very short, um, most of the airlines pulled out of Priceline right before it launched, right? And and maybe Jay Walker thinks it was a completely sketchy non-coincidence that they all pulled out. Um, eventually they got on board. But do you think that he, Bob Crandall, and the other airlines had a point, like did their fears come true with Priceline and consumers having a lot more power? Well, I, def I definitely th think uh, their fears did come true in terms of transparency. Like, you know, consumers have, you know, so much more control now. They know what's going on. They're not relying on, you know, the, tr the travel agent in the uh, corner store to, um, dictate what they know about flights and they can comparison shop and stuff like that. On the other hand, Priceline and Hotwire, which is sort of a Priceline clone, have become valuable channels for the airlines in, you know, during uh, bleak economic periods when, when they really need to drive demand and, and, and fill seats. Um, you know, during, during boom times, they're less valuable. Um, but they play a role, definitely, for airlines. Um, and so I have one more, one more point about Priceline, um, which is that we're all pretty familiar with the longtime pitch man, William Shatner. But what most people might not know is that he was not the first choice for that job. Bill Cosby was actually our first choice. Oh, my God. <laughs> for the radio advertising, because he had the most famous and trusted voice in America because of the Jell-O Pops and the, and the Kodak. So we were, we had pitched hard to get Bill Cosby to be our voice because he would be so recognizable on the radio. And the Cosby people just wanted so much money from us that we were getting desperate because we couldn't figure out who to get. Um, and they, they got William Shatner because they kind of had a third hand connection to him. And, and I guess he wasn't doing that much <laughs> at the time. So they, they actually got him to agree to take some stock um, in lieu of, of regular payment up front. Do you, I mean, it, it seems like that's the company that's really had like a celebrity um, fronting it. Do you, I mean, do you think things might've gone differently if they hadn't had like this, this guy and this kind of, kind of funny, silly commercials. Did that help well, them? Well, it's been, oh, it definitely helped them. It's been very successful. People always talk about what a consummate pro William Shatner was, is. He's in his, his 80s now, and he's still doing, um, he's doing the voice of, of Priceline.com at this point. He's been killed off by them so many times and, and come back. But they always talk about the fact that, you know, the advertising agency gives him a, a script and a storyboard, and he comes back with something different, something better. You know, he, he always improves the, the commercials. And in the beginning, it was all about Star Trek and the future and the vision of the future of travel. That's a familiar phrase at Skift. <laughs> so uh, it's worked out, you know, extremely well. Yeah.
Um, and there's a lot more to say about Priceline, but again, people should just read the oral history um, to find out all of that. Because I want to jump to another company that I think will be familiar to a lot of people, but we'll set it up a little bit. Um, so a few years after the first online travel agencies were formed, um, we've got the situation where people are starting to have some of the power that they've never had before. And they're doing things themselves that a travel agent would have done just a few years earlier. Um, but there's still, I guess, not great, dependable, unbiased information about these hotels that they now have the power to book themselves. Um, so that's where Steve Coffer right. comes in um, and his own vacation planning concerns. Um, so he, he gets some advice from a travel agent, but he isn't sure whether or not to trust it. And sure enough, uh, after a lot of difficult searching on the internet, I did come up with some genuine opinions from real travelers that told me maybe I didn't want to stay at the place that was recommended by the travel agent. Mm -hmm. So we picked a different spot, had a great time, and on the way home thought, wow, there might be a company that could be built around helping travelers plan the perfect trip based upon real information, not the marketing stuff that you got. So he comes up with TripAdvisor and he's the co-founder and, and I think he's still the CEO today. Yeah. Um, so can you, can you talk a little bit about what TripAdvisor was initially meant to be and then what it turned into? As I understand it, it was supposed to be a place where you could go read professional reviews all in one place. So you could read a New York Times article about a particular destination or an article from Frommers or Fodor's or, or whomever. But what they found out is that people really gravitated towards user reviews once they put that them up there. And now TripAdvisor has so much content, it's evolved to be the largest travel site in the world in terms of traffic. But it's really gone through, you know, a number of really big changes. It has all these user reviews. Uh, and a couple of years ago, it got into uh, comparison shopping for hotels, MetaSearch. Now it's a booking site. It has vacation rentals and tours and activities and flight search, restaurant reviews, uh, not only restaurant reviews, restaurant reservations. They're big in Europe and restaurant reservations. So the goal is to be essential for the traveler in planning the perfect trip. Um, but still the place that you think of when you think of like a user saying I had a great time or I had a really lousy time. And you, you asked him about how he views the impact of, of his, of the company's embrace of user generated content back then. And, and I think he even sounded a little bit surprised still by how popular that was. Go 15 years back and all of a sudden you could book that trip online yourself. You weren't dependent on the travel agent to do that. Wow huge shifting of power to the consumer, but what you were booking was either where you already knew you wanted to go or where Travelocity told you to stay because they just had a price in a hotel and a pretty picture. All of a sudden, along comes TripAdvisor. And I don't want this to sound like it happened overnight because it certainly didn't. But over the years, we accumulated so much advice 
And the smart thing to do became to go check with TripAdvisor about where you want to go, how you're going to have this vacation. So whether or not you clicked on our you know, ads or not, so many people came to our site, still come to our site, because they know it to be the authentic source. And we could never have done that if it was professional reviews written in the voice of TripAdvisor. You can't get the scale. You can't get the trust. We happened upon the wisdom of the crowds. We happened upon the fact that travelers would enjoy telling their stories in review form. And he says that they have 350 million users a month, um, 200 contributions a minute. So obviously survived TripAdvisor and and has done really well, even if, um, you know, some hotels maybe rue the TripAdvisor. Well, as a matter of fact, hotels are are major partners of TripAdvisor. You know, a majority of the major hotel chains have signed up to be booking partners of TripAdvisor. So their bookings are processed right on TripAdvisor. So whereas at first they might have had a lot of enmity from hotels. Hotels are pretty good partners and a lot of hotel chains run TripAdvisor reviews on the hotel website. So so it's really changed. And TripAdvisor has become an essential marketing tool for just about everybody in travel. Who else has, has done really well um, from those early players? Who would you say um, is really really on top now? Right. Well, a couple couple of companies come to, to mind. Uh, one is Booking.com, which started out, um, you know, as a, as one guy's website with ten hotels uh, in the Netherlands, and that is part of the Priceline Group now, which is a sixty eight billion dollar company. And another thing, you know, that surprised me was um, I, I had really been unaware of uh, Dara Kasrashahi's role at IAC at the time before Expedia in along with Barry Diller in being instrumental in making a lot of acquisitions the way they rolled up a lot of these these companies like Hotwire and TripAdvisor and Hotels.com. So they re- really were able to pick out a lot of really up-and-coming companies that uh, others, o- others overlooked. And, um, and Expedia now owns... Who of their fellow former uh, competitors? They own. In 2015, they acquired Travelocity. They attra- they acquired Orbits. They acquired HomeAway. So you know, of the major online travel agencies that were there in the beginning in the 90s, Expedia, Travelocity, Orbits, and Priceline. Expedia owns three of them. Wow. Um, and that might, that may be why um, they have one of the most highly compensated CEOs in America, not just in travel. Um, Do you mean the ninety six million last year? I, I believe that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so that's that's Dara Kasrashahi. He he was really involved from the earliest days, as you said, um, when he I guess was probably just in his twenties in those early days. Um, and he he talked to you about what he learned from TripAdvisor, which is about speed um, taking care of a lot of mistakes. This is an environment that is 
far from certain. Uh, and and you can't always plan things out perfectly, but if you're moving faster than the other guy, your chances of getting it right either the first time or the second time or the third or fourth or fifth uh, increase. And, and you can't aim for perfection. You can't plan anything out or you can't plan everything out. Uh, but to be very aware of the market, to be very aware of your consumer needs and to act accordingly uh, is a really important kind of key for success as a company. Yeah, he, he um, told the story of the first time that he met uh, Steve Kaufer of TripAdvisor, and that's one of the things that really impressed him about Steve, not, not only you know his tech, technical acumen, but the fact that Steve Kaufer emphasized speed. And in fact, Steve Kaufer had a post-it note on his door for years and years that said, speed wins. And Dara also said, he, he was very candid that when he first became CEO of Expedia, he wasn't very good in the beginning. But, you know, the fact that he had TripAdvisor in the fold, fold, you know, in the portfolio and that they were moving at such a fast clip covered a lot of mistakes. Do you think that was a kind of a common thread among the companies that really saw a lot of success, that they were able to pivot and evolve and, and um, change rapidly? Yeah, definitely. That was one of the major factors. They were able to pivot. Like, for example, Hotels.com. They said in the beginning they, they relied on hotels for commissions. But then they discovered they spent half their time chasing the, trying to collect the commissions from the hotels. So that was one of the reasons uh, they decided to pivot. Another big factor was your willingness to go against the grain. I love this story from Arthur Costin of Booking.com. And he told the story of they went to their first, they had just acquired the precursor to Booking.com and they went to a Focusrite conference in, in Orlando, like uh, 2002 or 2003, whatever it was. And everyone was telling them that the future of travel is the merchant model and dynamic packaging and that everything Booking.com was doing was totally wrong. And they were kind of depressed. We just acquired this company and everything we're doing is wrong. But they decided to stick to their knitting. And their model, uh, which was a different model, an agency model, turned out to be um, fuel growth a lot faster and like I said, they're, they're part of a $68 billion company at this point. Uh, are, as, so while we're recording this, your, your project is about to launch. By the time people hear it, uh, it, it will be out. Um, but I assume you're probably hearing from some of the people who you've interviewed for the project. Um, are, are people <laughs> worried about what it's going to say? Or um, are they really excited to see what everyone else has said? Yeah, it's... It's really fun. You know, uh, some of the people I interviewed for an hour and they would call me back a couple days later to add this or that. <laughs> a few of them are worried about, oh, this, you know, this is going to be a run on sentence. You know, I could write it much better. I sound dumb, you know, and that and that sort of thing. But one of the thing that a couple of things, you know, flow through the whole thing. One is that, you know, I found s certain people that over the years have really been, um, watch their words and very careful about what they say. But in this, in these interviews, they were talking about their youth. They were talking about things they were passionate about. They were talking about their competitors and they were effusive. Uh, 
you know, the converge, the conversation just really flowed. Um, and then another thing that really struck me is, um, everybody knows everybody in travel and they've been doing deals with one another since the late 1990s and they're still doing deals with one another. So it's really a very small world. When you think about what's going on in the travel industry today, um, and then think 20 years into the future, what do you think is happening now that will be most ripe for an oral history project like this one, you know, two decades from now? Right. Well, a lot of people talk about artificial intelligence, how that's going to be used to anticipate what people want and personalization. And that's going to be uh, a gigantic stride forward. It could change everything. Then there's also this little thing about driverless cars. And, uh, <laughs> you know, will Uber finally get rid of all the drivers and, and go for driverless cars? Uh, that's another thing. And another hot thing right now is are all the messaging apps. Um, right now I'm planning a uh, vacation using Lola Travel which is, you know, started by one of the co-founders of Kayak, which was all about do-it-yourself trip planning. And now this has, you know, you get to chat with your uh, travel agent, you know, at two in the morning, you could chat with your travel agent, you know, and, and a different agent, you know, handles your car rental and another one handles your um, hotel, depending on what, uh, what time of day you send your chat. How's that? How's that going? It's going, it's going very well. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was an $800 charge on my credit card that we didn't know where it came from, but that's been rescinded. But really, it's been great. They've, and you can, really, you can really get personal about, you know, my kids hate minivans, so please don't rent me that. You know, <laughs> right. you, so uh, it's been pretty cool. Do you, uh, do you envision yourself being the person to write one of those oral histories in, in 10 or 15, 20 years? Or are you done? Uh, I'm not done, but 20 years from now, no, I don't think I'll be writing oral histories. <laughs> All right. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for filling us in. Um, it was a pleasure. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks.